I see you, yeah you, flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases, a one-size-fits-all quick fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. Excited for you to be here today and continuing in the sermon series with us. I've said it before, but I love the beautiful timing of God and how sometimes he doesn't let us in on the secret till it's the right time. And this didn't even occur to me. Why? Because my wife's out of the country, so Valentine's Day is not on my radar, right? Every year we do uh, Olive Garden to go on our Valentine's Day. It's what we did um, our very first Valentine's Day together, and it just stuck. Now our kiddos are invited into it. We don't go out and have it. I don't want to deal with crowds. If you've ever been out on Valentine's Day to some of these places, I got no time for that. So we get ours to go and come home and spend it with our family. Well, I have not thought about that because Morgan's out of town. Our kids are like, are we doing that? I was like, no, we're not doing it without Mama. So we'll do it when she gets back. So Valentine's Day is off my radar. So as I was preparing for this sermon this week and this morning, spending some time with him, I got done, got everything tidied up, and I go to get in the shower, and instantly God said, this is a perfect sermon for Valentine's Day. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're good. You're so good. I had no idea, lost track of the days, but in that moment it was just like, because today we've been in this Why Am I Here sermon series. Why am I here? It's a kingdom question that we should be asking ourselves constantly. If we're in a situation, if we're in a circumstance, if we have breath in our lungs and a beat in our chest, then we have purpose in the kingdom of God. We've been positioned for such a time as this. So it's the question we should always be asking. And then today we're going to preach an intimate place. See? Rolls right in, right? As I begin to think about it, and he began to open up more in that space that give me like the, the finalized pieces to say, okay. So I'm going to kind of prepare you for the next couple of weeks because I'm not going to preach all of this sermon today. I'm going to preach an intimate place, but this is a connection. So we are in, we've been preaching from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we're in the space where he begins to talk about prayer, and he talks about the Lord's Prayer. We're going to preach this over a couple of weeks. So this is what I will guarantee. We are going to preach this for at least two weeks. It may go three. I don't know. We're going to let him do what he does. This is to keep me on time because there's a lot here in prayer, a lot of things. Um, it's one of the things we don't talk enough about, but then when we do, I feel like we don't talk deep enough. We don't connect to the heart of what prayer is. And then even as I was preparing for this sermon, there was some parts of it I like, I, I feel like I've preached this here before. But it's always funny when I have those moments, I, I feel like I've preached this before, somebody will come up to me like, man, that was so good. And I'm like, I know I've said that from here before, but for some reason you heard it today. So as I was preparing for this, I'm like, God, is that, I think I've said this before. And he's like, you don't get to turn, just say it. Go with what I'm telling you. 
So we're going to talk about prayer for the next two weeks, maybe three, but right now it's two. And then once we're done with that, we're going to take our mid-break in this kingdom discussion. We're going to have uh, our set-down session. So I'll, I want you over the next couple of weeks to be thinking back over the last couple of weeks of sermons, thinking over this weeks of prayer. Any questions you have, any testimonies or thoughts you have coming out of this in three weeks, maybe four, we'll see, we are going to have um, just that. I'll, I'll get off the pulpit a little bit. I'm going to open up the mic for you guys. We're going to share that moment together because I think it's important. If you have questions and we've been preaching about a lot of things and you're like, man, I want to know more about this, then that's going to open us up to in conversation to get us that place. All right, y'all ready to go? Okay. Today we're going to talk about an intimate place. So if you turn your Bibles to Matthew 6, we've been on the Sermon on the Mount and talking about the establishment of the kingdom, the foundation that was already laid in the Old Testament, but was being restored by the teaching of Jesus, getting us to the heart place of what we should be hearing when we see what's occurred, when we hear the things of the Bible. But Knowing good and well, judging by the character and the actions of the Pharisees, they just didn't get it. The ones who knew the Bible the most could not see the Word of God standing in front of them. The foundation of our relationship with God right in front of the face, and they couldn't see it. So as he's begun to lay this out and talk about it. So in uh, chapter 6, we talked a little bit last week about giving to the needy. It kind of positions us and moves us towards what uh, is called the Lord's Prayer, if you have the titles in your book, uh, the different verses. But I want to focus in and around that this week. Next week, we're going to talk about the actual prayer and what Jesus said. But this week, I want to talk about our posture. And you hear me say that word a lot. Posture, posture is everything. How we do something is big. We can do the right things in the world, but if you do it with some stank on your face, guess what? It's not going to get received in the same way. If you give, you can give a million dollars, but if you give grudgingly and it's got to be pulled from your hands, guess what? It ain't received in the way you intended it, or probably is received in the way you intended it because your heart's going to speak more abundantly than what you do. That's where we have to be very careful. So when we come to our posture, when we come to prayer, prayer is the most important thing in our life, period. Now, some of y'all is like, well, I thought the Bible was... Prayer is our conversation with God. This is a part of our prayer life, or it should be. We got some out there who just pray all the time and don't read the word. We got some who read the word and don't talk. It's a conversation. Our prayer is a conversation with Him. First off, we have Him speaking to us through the lives and the words of men and women who have lived this thing out through the life of Jesus. But our time with Him and the like the Holy Spirit, this is another thing that we don't talk about. So Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will reveal all truths to you. So there's times that you're going to read this. It don't make sense. Why? Because you weren't in this time frame. You weren't a Jew in Jerusalem being preached to by Jesus. Amen? So you don't sometimes process these things the way you do. You're an American in 2023, and guess what? You are wired differently. How do I know that? Because some of you just took your phone out and scanned a QR code while ago. None of these cats were doing that. If you would try to preach this to them, they'd be like, ooh. 
But when you read this and then you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, an individual, from your journey, your perspective, to him, that's the beauty of what our prayer moments are. Even in life, we've distracted and we've dissected into prayer and meditation. You get a lot of people that want to talk meditation, but they don't want to talk prayer. Meditation is prayer. If prayer is our conversation, then meditation is when we shut up and listen. It's the moment we realize that one-sided conversation is not the answer. But that's what a lot of our prayer lives look like. Why is that? I want to get to that this morning in talking about our posture. So I'm going to start in chapter 6, verse 9, but I'm only going to read the first piece of that because the rest of verse 9 goes right into the Lord's Prayer. But I want to read the first part, and then we're going to backtrack a little bit. So in verse 9, it says, Pray then like this. So they just asked him, you know, in another, I think it's in Luke, where they say, Jesus, tell us how to pray. So his statement is, pray like this. But I love this one, the way it's centered in the Sermon on the Mount, because there's a word that stands out. When he tells him to pray like this, there's a word in this one that's different. Then. Which means then something has to occur. There's an if-then statement. Something occurs, then this. So if prayer happens after the then... What did he say before that? If prayer is this important, then the before has to be just as important if he put the then statement there. Otherwise, he could have just said, pray like this, and we move on. Wouldn't have mattered what he said before because he told me how to pray, and I could say that. See, how many people know the Lord's Prayer in here? There's no shame if you don't. It's okay. If you've ever done fellowship of Christian athletes or any of that, it is fully ingrained in you. If you've done Catholic school, it's ingrained in you. You could judge by the bruises on your wrists. Um, but I think we teach prayer like that. We teach it. It's like this in a box. But we undervalue the posture that directs us to the then moment. So that's what I want to talk about today. Pray then like this. In the NIV, it says this then is how you should pray. So. If we're going to backtrack a little bit, let's go to verses 5 through 8. 5 through 8. And it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, I know what they do, I know how they do it, but when you, it's a, it's a very individual moment in a corporate setting. Jesus is so good at this. We have corporate settings all the time, but we don't make it individual. We don't make it intimate. Jesus has a way of just connecting intimately to you in a moment. If you're paying attention, you ever been in a sermon and you're like, man, I feel like he just said my name with that statement. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit, like the invitation to you to have that intimate moment. So the challenge is an individual moment. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Let's spend a little bit of time talking about some of these things today. So the first thing I want to share with you in this first part of this passage as we talk about the intimate space, as we talk about intimacy this week leading into Valentine's Day, everybody wants to talk about intimacy, right? And we've shared this so many times before that I believe the world has wrecked intimacy. We've made it about sex. We've made it about the, what you do behind closed doors and for some not behind closed doors. Why? Because there's all the things now, the cameras and you can do whatever you like in front of whoever you want no consequence. That's the world we live in. So intimacy has become, ugh, there is no intimacy anymore. You know how I know that? Not with just sex? Go check on Facebook. You share your most intimate moments with everybody in the world. The moment you released your biggest problem in this world, the moment you give out your hurt, your worst fear, your shame, your disappointment to the world, everybody knows it. There is nothing sacred anymore. Go look at Facebook. You can see whatever you want. You can hear whatever you want. There ain't no secrets no more. See, if we were called to be the temple, which we are, Jesus said, you are the temple. So we are the residing place of the Holy Spirit now. Go back and look at how the temple was made. There was an outer court, an inner court, and the holiest of holies. That's the same way we should be. You can let everybody into your outer court. You need to be a little bit more selective with who gets in your inner court. In your holiest of holies, it should be God and your significant other, period. That's the place of intimacy. Guess what? Too many peoples letting in everybody else into their holiest of holies. There ain't no secrets among married couples anymore. Why? Because everybody knows it. Well, we're not intimate. Yeah, you are. You're just intimate with everybody. There is nothing that exists between you. There's no pillow talk anymore because you do it on the streets. I'm just preaching before we ever get into it here. This is exactly what Jesus is beginning to talk about from a prayer perspective. But this is so much bigger because I think in the world we live in, this intimacy that he's talking about, because that's what prayer is. Prayer is a place of intimacy. He is attempting to establish an intimate connection with his people who knew him corporately. The Jewish culture, they corporately knew this word by heart. But they did not know him intimately. Otherwise, when he stands in front of them, says what the word is saying in a much more intimate way, they would have received it. There's a reason as he began to teach, people began to leave. Because there was not an intimate connection because they only were fine with their corporate connection. So prayer establishes this link, this intimacy, this moment of aloneness, which is exactly why he compares, him, he compares us and uses the simile of the church and the bride. And all, what he establishes is that in our home. And we go back to the, what a man and a woman should be doing when they marry and when they spend that time together. It's why you leave your family, your source of intimacy before you were married. When you leave all that behind, you cleave. When you say, I do, it's I do to all of you, not just the things I want, not just 
your booty that may look good in those jeans, not look not just those pecs on your chest with that beautiful smile. It's everything. Because that's how Jesus took you. You're everything. That's the place of intimacy he's trying to establish. So as he's talking about prayer, it is so much bigger than we can even imagine when we begin to undo the layers. But he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. First thing I want to tell you, to you, tell you is choosing intimacy over what they can see. That's what God's calling us to. He wants you to choose intimacy over what they can see. So you think about this from a prayer perspective. There was a whole lot of Pharisees and Sadducees that knew the right things to say. Their prayer life was on point. They knew exactly the tithes to give and to make sure to give it at the right point when the most tithes were given. See, if I was going to tithe in this church... I would do it after worship, not before worship, because I want to make sure there's a multitude of eyes. I'm going to start doing that, just walking out and just put in the offering plate every day. Just We do tithing and offering a little different here, and I'm just going to walk back. and I'm just kidding, not really. But that's the way prayer can be sometimes. There's some people that are good corporate prayers. Anybody ever heard somebody pray out loud? Have you ever heard somebody pray out loud in intimate prayer? And it gets a little awkward, like, hmm. If you ever see somebody do some sloppy prayers, but some of the best sloppy prayers I know, I've never seen them sloppy pray, but they they own up to it. I don't do that in public because it gets, oof, it gets messy. I'm all over the place. I got to change my makeup. See, you know what? I've seen some of those people when they first met God, and it was sloppy. Why? Because they'd never experienced that level of intimacy before in a moment. But as maturity comes, they didn't do it out in the public eye anymore. They got in the house and did it in their quiet places. It's the same way with our affection. If you think about this, when you see some of these Hollywood stars giving these public displays of affection all the time, doing it out in front of everybody, proving, oh, we're in love. You know what you don't do once you mature in your relationship? You don't do that out in public anymore. Why? Because I don't need to prove my love to her in the eyes of you. There's only one person I need to prove that to, and it can be done in the quietness of our home. That's what he's saying about our intimacy in prayer. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks about. I'm trying to establish an intimate link with you of conversation and connection. And it may in the beginning feel really good and you want to let everybody know that you're praying and talking to Jesus. But when you mature, you're going to get to a place you don't need them to see you anymore. Why? Because you could care less what they think about your prayer life. Because if you spend time there, they're going to notice something different about you. I read a book here recently, and it was from a man who was raised in a home where his parents were not real uh, emotional and connectional and relational. Like there was not a lovey-dovey stuff going in his house. But he said, you know where I found this place? You know where I was challenged to grow in intimacy with my wife? He said, it's in my in-laws. He said, I can remember when we were dating, every time I went to pick her up, He said, I can only remember a handful of times this didn't occur, but when I would go to get her, it was commonplace for me to get there, and they had a big picture window in their front room. And he said, it was commonplace for my future father-in-law and mother-in-law to just be dancing. There was some music playing in the middle of the day, 
and they would just be there dancing in the wasn't all this crazy dancing you see at Peabody's. It was just a moment of intimacy. And there was a window display. They weren't all over each other kissing, doing all that. It was just, I want to be in your presence. I want to spend this time in this beautiful movements together that required them to move. See, there's something that happens when you spend intimate moments together that you don't care in those moments. It ain't all about handsy and kissing and all that. There is a beautiful movement that occurs between you and the opposite. There is something that happens in the intimate place of your prayer that when you're around other people, they can tell that you spend intimate time with him because of the way you move in public. This is why he's trying to establish this place. If I can get you intimately in a place where you can begin to let go of your own stuff, when you can begin to find love, grace, and mercy in a new way, and you don't find it in the temple when everybody's looking because that's when everybody gets it. And realistically, they ain't finding it. They're checking the box. They're getting what everybody else got. You're getting a packaged lunch. He's like, I want to bake you your own lasagna. I want to cook you a meal for Valentine's Day. I need you to know how much I care about you because in order to let some stuff go, you need to get alone with me. In this quiet place, you begin to choose intimacy. See, realistically, what he's saying is you pray from a public place, but you won't give me your secret place. Won't you think about that for a minute? You can pray publicly, but there's some things that we keep. This is all of us. Ain't a one of you that the first time you met Jesus, you just blah, turned it all over to him. It's the same way in your marriage. You got some stuff that you don't turn it over. Hopefully you eventually get to a place where you can. But there's still some of us in marriage today that hide things from our spouse. That's why a lot of marriages go under. Because there's not an open and intimacy and conversation. See, intimacy really is information. We don't know enough about one another when we say I do to really say I do. We say I do to what I know. This ain't in my notes. I told you God changed this to a Valentine's Day message. That's how this becomes practical is he's trying to establish kingdom in every area of our life. This posture of prayer is so much bigger than just sitting there, God, I wish you would do this. I wish you would heal me. I wish you would change this. I wish you would give me money. Why do I got to keep going? Blah, 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 blah. Never listening. Never praying in the way he told us to pray. Why? Because this is how we've been taught. We go and we complain. Does that sound a lot like our marriage sometimes? Don't say yes or amen. Your spouse is probably sitting next to you right now. Mine's not. It's true, though. Why do marriages fail? Because we do a lot of complaining. We don't complain to the world, but we bring it all home and dish it on our wife, on our husband. Our relationship with God looks a lot like our intimate relationship with our spouse. We're sharing everything of everybody else, so we really ain't got nothing else to share with him. So we just complain and beg a lot. I don't know how we ended up here, but yes, Lord. 
But there's a space right here where he tells them how to do it. He begins to challenge them. But he says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. How many of you have a room in your house that doesn't have a door on it? Yeah. Back in that day, it was flip-flop. So think of the importance of this statement. We take this statement for granted. Why? Because there's a room on every door. Unless your kid's done something wrong and you pulled the door off. You want an effective way to discipline? Put that one on your number. They get to be teenagers. They think they can do whatever they want. This is my house. Yeah, do it without a door. Dad, I got to change. You better go to the bathroom. I ain't feeling bad for you. You think you can do all that behind closed doors? I'll remove the closed door and we'll see if you still do it. I ain't had to do that in my house yet, but I have a friend who did it. Man, oh man, that changed everything. That was a game changer. But we read this statement, and we have rooms in our homes. Every room in our home has a door on it. Back in this day, many of the homes only had one space with a door on it, and that was the storeroom, where everything was stored, everything was kept, everything else wide open. But there was something about what I think in this statement, when you think about it, of the things you have, the things you keep. He's saying, when you go into that place, when you go into the room with a door, that's where I want to be. I want to go where everything else is stored. I want to go to begin to change the atmosphere of all the things you've got to help you value, to help you understand, to let go. It's behind the closed door when nobody's looking that we can really take inventory of what you got. That's what happens in prayer. That's why he wants the intimate place. He wants you to walk in there and not worry about what everybody else said. Not worry about what everybody else told you you're supposed to have. Not worry about whatever's been done to you. In that space, he's going to begin to heal you, reveal you, remove some things from you so that, those words, you can begin to walk in intimacy. Before we ever say a word of prayer, I got to get your space right. I got to get your mind right. I got to get you open to receiving what I have for you. Second thing I want you to know, and I don't have three points. This is only my second one, and then we'll see where we go from here. Submission gives permission for intimacy. Submission gives permission for intimacy. See, there's a lot of people who have been forced into submission to give intimacy to people. Think about that. It is nothing to hear, especially now as a lot of these are coming out with this me now movement uh, of women who have just been pushed down, taken advantage of, forced into submission to give something that they didn't want to give. I'm here to tell you that's not what this relationship is. That's not what Christianity is. There's a lot of people who think that. You can watch all the TikTok people. I'm a, I forget the guy's name, but there's a, a guy who's very big in apologetics on, on Facebook, and he has this, it's something about a red pen, but he has a, a cup with a red pen, and he'll take these TikTok videos of people talking about God and saying all these things about him and trying to rationalize and justify how they, oh, God just wants to, like they've connected this to say that um, in the same way women are being raped, we are being held hostage by God and all that. And it's like he connects them back to the love, the grace, and the mercy of the ministry of the gospel, what it truly is, the heart of it. But 
it's this place of submission that so many people struggle with. But I'm here to tell you today, whether you like it or not, you're submitting to something. Yeah, it's quiet in here. As I began to chew on this thought this week, I was like, whoa, man, that's the truth. Every one of us, whatever your routine is, whatever you do, in the moment you choose something, you are submitting to it, whether it be a clock, whether it be a dollar, whether it be the eagles tonight. We submit to something, whether it be your spouse. I think this is the important place where he said, if you'll, be, you'll be saved if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. This is the moment of submission where we begin to let go. This is the moment of intimacy where you got to begin to declare submission in this space before you can ever get to a place where you're truly declaring him Lord. Why? Because we have a lot of rooms with closed doors. See, we circle back around. Jesus coming to my house and come behind this closed door and he said, yeah, but what about the other 12? What about the attic that's got the lock on it? What about the basement you haven't taken me into? Intimacy comes when we begin to submit I'm going to bounce down in 7 and 8. It says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. In other words, before you go into intimacy, you had to submit your wants and needs to the one who knows you better than you do. This is the first and the I think the strongest place when you're going to go into prayer, you need to let go of first. Don't give empty phrases. He's referring to the Gentiles. Back then, they prayed to all these gods because they were just throwing darts. Man, they were praying like six, seven gods because whichever one's right, I'm going to make sure I get them. Go look at uh, Paul when he was walking through uh, Rome And there was a a statue, a a small statue that was built to the unknown God. In the midst of all of these big Roman gods, they knew there was something missing. So we're just going to put this deer and make sure you say that prayer to the unknown God as you're praying to everybody else, just in case that's the real one. And Paul's like, man, you are closer than you know, yet further than you can imagine. So the Gentiles would say all these prayers to all these things. They have all these things. And remember, people are like, whew, look at their elaborate prayers. They said, that's all worthless. Words, they're just saying it. There's no intimacy. There's no connection because they don't know who they're praying to. It's kind of like these arranged marriages. And they talk to that person like they're their spouse already because that's going to be their spouse. But they don't really know them. There's no intimacy. There's no connection there, but they've said, I do. And they, oof, and I couldn't imagine that. Spending the rest of my life with someone I don't know. But I still find out, even today, there's things I don't know. I'm constantly learning. But I don't learn it up here in a corporate setting. Me and Morgan sit up here and like, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. Awkward. That was the day the lights went out in Greenbrier. You imagine that, just airing it. It happens. 
Look at all these, well, not anymore, but the, the talk shows that used to be on. Man, it was nothing to air out some public laundry back on some of those things. But what he wants to do, the invitation is into this place. So the first thing you've got to submit is your wants and your needs. Why? Because you begin to pray differently when you trust him with what you need. And that's what the end of the scripture says. It says, do not be like them. Don't throw out the heavy words. Don't throw out all this thing. Before you ever say a word, already know that he knows what you need. Tell me that's not a posture of prayer. Well, then I get my time alone with God. I really got to say this, this, and this, because if I don't say it, He's not, he doesn't know what's going on. God's like, are we praying about this again? Is this what we're going to pray about? I already know this. I knew it was when you got here. I don't need to know what brought you here. I just need you here. See, he ain't scared of what got you to the prayer closet, but when you get there, sometimes you just need to be quiet. Because it's in those hardest times, in those rains fell and winds blew. He's like, my foundation's already here. Don't worry about what's coming. Know that I'm here with you. He already knows your needs. Man, you pray differently when that happens. God, I know you're here with me. Give me strength to weather this storm. Instead of, God, take me out of this storm. God, remove this cup from me. No, if you got me here and there's purpose, why am I here? Why am I here? I don't know, but if you're with me, give me strength to walk this thing through. If I've made a wrong decision and I'm going the wrong path, give me wisdom to turn around. If this is a door you've not opened it up, close it in my face. Slam it and give me peace so that I can choose the direction you want me to. See, you begin to pray differently because you trust him with everything. Your wants, your needs, your desires. Because he knows them. Second thing I want to talk about is your pains. You've got to submit your pains. If you go to verse 14, it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Mark eleven twenty five. 25, y'all have heard me quote this scripture often, but it says, Jesus said, when you stand to pray, forgive. I mean, the, the hardest thing to pray for a lot of people, there's a reason a lot of people aren't coming to church nowadays, post-pandemic. There's a lot more, if you've looked at uh, church numbers and they take these polls of how many people choose Christianity over this, how many people choose this denomination over this, and the number of nuns are going up. And that's not like Christian or Catholic nuns. It's the amount of people who select none on all of that. Uh, I had a... I talked to you all a little bit about the, the book Thriving in Babylon over the last couple of weeks that I've been reading with some pastors. Wednesday, we had an amazing call where the author of the book um, came on and just began to share some of the things. And one of the things he said to us was this. He said, a lot of people ask me in, in the church world today if the number of nuns brings me pause or makes me fearful of the church losing its impact. And he said, nope. I think realistically the world's just finally being genuine. He said, ain't a one of those people who are none now who were ever some. He said, they've just been allowed to sit in the church, sing some songs, say the right prayers, listen to a sermon and go home and feel good about themselves. 
But the moment that they're wounded, the moment that the church gives them reason to leave, you look at all the documentaries that are out about Hillsong, about Mars Hill and Seattle, all the things. You know what he called those documentaries and stuff? He said, the church is wrapped up in failure porn. We love to see Christians fail. That's where the kingdom's stuck right now. What'd they do? How'd they do it? How often did they do it? He said, you don't need to know that. He said, you need to know that it happened because you need to be aware that it's happening. But you don't need to get in their knickers and know all their business. He said, that's what's happening in the church. People who have been hurt by the church, everybody's like, well, they didn't get hurt by the church. They got hurt by people. Guess what? The church is people. They didn't get hurt by God. They got hurt by the church. And it's happening. We have people coming here all the time. Like, oh, I don't know about church. I talk to people. I don't know if I'm going to come to church. I've been hurt by church. Uh, I don't like the way that's going. Okay. I'm just going to love you through all of that. Because realistically, if you get this intimate place down, the corporate place is different. Because you don't come in here looking for something that maybe you can't find here. You don't come in here sharing something that you shouldn't share here. You don't come into a place where somebody's out to wound you with a place that God wants to heal you. I'd love to say that's not true, but that's not the posture of the church right now. And it needs to be. Like I said earlier, we need to be Christians. We need to be a church where you can come in and share your brokenness and your hurts. But we need to be realistic that that's not always the case. Just a few weeks ago in our prayer morning on Monday, we had somebody come in and open up about something. And I was like, I don't really want this to be talked about. Nope, not going to be talked about. Because if they're not here, then this was a Holy Spirit sealed place. <laughs> Gossiping will not occur. But if you were here in that moment, there was a trust level that occurred, an intimacy and connection of heart with people of like minds to say, you know what? There ain't no shame or disappointment in this. How can we pray over you? How can we speak life over you? That's the impact of the kingdom when we begin to operate differently in our places of intimacy. When we receive love value in our quiet places with him, when we can release our pains and our hurt, when we can begin to forgive, then we don't walk around with unforgiveness directing every act and attention. We don't pray through unforgiveness. We don't weaponize our prayers. We don't get stuck in the victim mentality in our prayers. There's too many people going to Jesus in their prayer time like, oh, I'm the broken and the battered. And he's like, no, you're not. Why do you still take on that name? Why do you still carry that title? Why do you still give control, power, and authority to somebody who's taken from you and all I want to do is give to you? Remove the control from those who don't value and get in a space of intimacy with one who values you like never before. The last one, and I'm not going to spend a long time on this and I probably need to, and that's why I said I've got two weeks is right after he says the Lord's Prayer, he addresses fasting. Because the last thing he wants you to submit is your attention. True posture of intimacy. And in this day and time, whew, 
There is a wall standing between intimate moments. I'm just as bad as anybody. I get in bed at the end of the night and unwind. I pull up, play a little Candy Crush. Don't judge me. Pray for me. I got five lives. I got to beat them real quick. There's been moments I've had to repent. Because it's when I want to talk about something, I look over and Morgan's playing Candy Crush. It's kind of like our together time. And I'm like, oh, always playing Candy Crush. And she's like, oh, glass house. Careful with those stones. Because maybe there was something I want to talk to you about the other night, but you were so wrapped up in your Candy Crush, I just rolled over and went to bed. It's all across the place. Attention is something that we don't give too much. We've got too many distractions. But in fasting, he says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. See, put out the candy crush. Okay, I'm not going to play it tonight. How much of our prayer life looks like that? All right, God, I'm going to spend some time with you. I know this is what you want me to do. And then it carries over. Man, if we're really, we'll be at work and like, I spent at least 45 minutes in prayer this week. I put my phone down. Good Lord willing, Jesus is with me. I didn't candy crush it for a while. I know, but you know, it's all for God's glory. You ain't getting no glory in that mess. Oh, ho, hum, you pity, pitiful Christian, you and your lack of candy crush. I take something as simple as candy crush, but it is no different in your fasting of food, time, resources. If that's the way you do it, he don't want it. Because fasting is that. Fasting is the ultimate posturing moment. There's too many people out here fasting because everybody else is doing it. Because they feel like they got to. That's why I'm not big on corporate fast. Until we need a corporate word, a corporate direction, I'm not big on just doing a corporate fast to do it. Why? Because so many people are like, what do I got to fast? It's not about what they are fasting, it's what they got. What, what do I get to keep? Well, I don't fast food. I, I use social media more than I eat. So I'm going to fast social media. God bless you. You could all choose to fast social media a little bit more, including myself. Why food? Why is food fasting in, in the Bible? Why? Because it is a submission to your attention. The ultimate thing you do as much as anything else, the thing that you need more than anything, it is submitting to him. You know what? I give it all to you. Ultimate submission. Moses did it for 40 days when he got the Ten Commandments. He didn't drink or eat. Jesus didn't drink or eat for 40 days in the wilderness. And we're like, well, I'll give up soda for five days. There is so many people, the first thing when we talk about fasting is like, well, does it have to be food? That's the first response. If they do the Daniel's fast, well, what can I eat? What about you stop asking what you can do and you're more attuned into what you need to let go of? Because I guarantee the one thing you don't want to let go is the one thing holding you back from intimacy. What you're willing to give up, he could care less about. It's the one thing, the one thing that's separating you. It's why tithing is so hard to preach. Because it's the last thing anybody gives to God. I ain't trying to give up. I, I, do, I work hard for this. Jesus, if you knew how hard I work for this, 
you wouldn't ask me to give 10% of it. And he's like, don't you know I am the one? Go look at Deuteronomy. I'm the one that gave you power to gain wealth. This is not a tithing sermon, and don't feel shame and disappointment because you don't tithe. Y'all know my heart on that. I tithe. Why? Because that's my personal revelation. I've seen him work in my life. I've never been without unless I didn't need. That's another sermon. But it's an invitation. If you don't tithe, I encourage you. Test him a little bit. It's the one place in the Bible in Malachi where it says, test me and see. Give and I guarantee you I'll open up the windows of heaven. We don't preach that enough. Or we weaponize that sermon too and we make you feel like you're going to hell if you don't. No, it's a place of intimacy. It's a place of submission. If that's a place you've not submitted to, guess what? That will hold you back. And I'm not saying you. we need your 10% in this church. I'd love to see your 10% in this church. I want to see your 10% in the kingdom. I want to see you impacting the world for kingdom's sake, not for my sake. Not even for Greenbrier Community Church's sake. Then you start sowing your, play, your money in places that you see doing kingdom work. Matthew 9, 14, I'm going to read this and we're going to be done. Matthew 9, 14 and 15, I love this space because this talks about the intimacy of who Jesus was. So in 14, we see somebody coming to Jesus and say, then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? See, This speaks to intimacy and fasting. What's the purpose of it? What the disciples had that nobody else had? An intimacy with Jesus. You don't need to fast. You're already in that space of intimacy. In other words, fasting is a posturing to get in the place of intimacy. Once you're in it, it's why these corporate, you know, I had somebody reach out this week and ask about Lent. Should we be doing Lent? Did God tell you to do Lent? Do Lent. I don't have a problem with you doing it. I said the biggest thing is you need to know why you're doing it. If you're doing it because somebody told you to do it, don't do it. But if you feel called to do it and you say, you know what? I need to do this. I need to. Because corporate moments like that also provide moments of connection with people who don't know what they're doing. But there's too many corporate movements like that that have zero idea why they're doing it. You know, another thing is I begin to look at Lent, what challenged me was the amount of people that over this 40 days, I think it is, 46 maybe, from Lent to Easter, they spend more time, they spend time, they put time out of the day, not only do they not eat meat, but they spend time in prayer and reading the Bible for 46 days. Well, I hope you blessed the rest of your 365 because of the 46 days you took time to read five minutes of Bible and five minutes of prayer. See, these moments of Lent should be a challenge. The moments of fasting should be a challenge. The moments of prayer should be a challenge to grow more intimate with him. Because watch the growth you have with those 46 days. Are you telling me you didn't get enough growth in 46 days that you don't want to spend the rest of the 319 with him? Are you kidding me? In other words, what Jesus is saying is, if you spend a little bit of time of intimacy with me, I guarantee I'll change your world. I'll change the way you see yourself. I'll change the way you see others. 
I want to finish today with, with this. As we go into prayer the next couple of weeks, I want to challenge you in your intimate spaces. I want you to challenge you in your time alone with Him. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, Christ Jesus. Why do we spend time in prayer? Why do we spend intimate time with Him? Why do we need to get our posture right? Because when you begin to hear his voice and see things through the, his eyes, when you begin to share his heart and in intimacy, suddenly it changes your outlook on everything else. Your inner moments, your holiest of holy moments, when you walk out of there, you're changed. This week as you're thinking about this space, I want you to open yourself up and ask God, how is my intimate relationship with you? And then be quiet. Now, the moment you ask this question, if you start hearing this voice say, you're horrible. You should spend more time with me. You don't love me enough because you don't read enough. You don't love me enough because you don't pray hard enough. That's not God. Let me stop that voice before he ever gets access to you. Because God doesn't need to spend time with you for him. He desires to spend time with you for you. So if every time you ask questions like that, it comes back like this, guess what? It's not very invitational in the time he wants to spend with you. It's the same way in our marriage. You need to spend more time with me. Guess what? That's not invitational. God is not a nagging God. But when you begin to hear, if you would just spend a little bit more time with me, you'd understand how I see you and not how so-and-so sees you. You'd understand more time you spend with me, those dreams that you thought were over, the dreams you thought you'd flush down the toilet, the things you thought would never come to pass, I gave them to you. I never took them from you. You laid them down. And before you ever said a word of prayer, you would realize you're in the space with the one who values you the most. Intimacy is not his goal. It is who he is. If that's not been your prayer life, if your prayer life has felt like work, it's your posture that's wrong. It's the things that are standing between you and you're talking to him. If it's felt ritual and ceremonialistic, it's because it has been. Because you've been trying to say all the right words or you just don't go spend time with him. You're trying to say the right prayers or you just feel like you can't do it, you're not worthy. 
He's like, just sit with me for a bit. And it's in those intimate places he's going to unravel you and undo you to a place that in your marriage you're going to be longing to spend intimate time with your spouse differently. You're going to be longing to spend intimate time with your kids differently. This is the kingdom. Everything he does is with purpose. To position you to take this message to those who don't have this foundation. Father, we thank you today for your continued invitation, guidance, connection. Thankful for these moments of intimacy that the the people in this church are going to have this week as they seek after you. Thankful for the undoing and the release of some of the things that have held them back this week. Knowing that the reward is coming in you. I'm thankful for the peace that's going to come over somebody this week as they realize the prayer that they've been praying over and over. You've had it in your hands all along as they begin to trust you with it. They realize it was never their burden to carry. Father, we thank you for this invitation into intimacy. We pray that it changes us so we can be examples, true examples of what a Christian looks like. A true example of somebody who spent intimate time with you and can never go back to being the way they were. Father, we thank you today. In your son's name, we seal this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you.